Sick Boy Podcast is a health and comedy show about what it's like to be sick. Wait, is that right? How can illness be funny? You'd be surprised. Okay. Sick Boy is hosted by me, Brian Stever. And me, Taylor McGilvery. And myself, Jeremy Saunders. Come on in and join us to melt your heart, learn something fascinating, and bust a belly laugh. Trust us, you'll be glad you did. You can find Sick Boy on the CBC Listen app or wherever you get your pods. This is a CBC Podcast. Hey, listeners. Before we get started... Just wanted to say we're approaching the end of our season and we're going to wrap it up with a Q&A episode. We would love to hear any questions or comments that you have about the show, this season, Harv and I, please be nice, <laughs> whatever it may be. We would especially love to hear your lovely voices. So feel free to record yourself saying your question as a voice memo. You can send us your written questions on Twitter and Instagram at IQ underscore podcast. And you can email us your audio questions, contact at iqpodcast.com. Lots of different ways to get in touch. I can't wait to hear your lovely questions soon. Harv, I know you said previously on the show that we should try to cover more topics that mm -hmm. maybe we're less mm -hmm. familiar with, with more opportunity for us to learn. And honestly, here we are. I don't know about you, but I personally don't know a ton about people who were formerly incarcerated. I've never met someone who was formerly incarcerated. How about you? Okay, so, Alina, that was just said in passing. You didn't have to take me literally. Okay. <laughs> but right. But I'm glad you did. I'm glad you <laughs> did, uh, because this topic is of a huge fascination to me, too. I have always believed that a fair society is one which treats its most vulnerable people fairly. Mm -hmm. And uh, prisoners or people who are incarcerated are fairly vulnerable. Mm. We spoke to some people who were formerly incarcerated about the questions they get asked. Mm -hmm. And one of the questions that came up the most talking to them was, why did you do it? Mm -hmm. Which makes sense to me. I think people tend to be really fascinated with why someone would commit a crime. Mm -hmm. You know, mm -hmm. you look no further than the fact that our society is obsessed with true crime documentaries and all sorts of media of that type. True crime podcasts are more popular than our podcasts. So just for the record. <laughs> Thank you so much for reminding me. It, that fact <laughs> haunts me in my sleep. <laughs> <laughs> no, but 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 uh, again, I am merely restating your point that it's a human fascination about why the crime happens. Yeah. Okay, so let's uh, let's talk to our guests. Just a word of warning that our guests will be talking about some difficult topics and experiences, like gun violence and sexual violence, substance abuse, and trauma. Kadeem Reed was formerly incarcerated and currently is part of the Gangs for Tuition program with Keep Six, a nonprofit that assists people impacted by the criminal justice system. Can you tell us about what happened and uh, anything you want to, any experience you want to share? I'm going to start off like this. I'm a product of my environment, mm. straight up. I am a product of my environment. I grew up in the Rexdale community, um, Kipling and Steels. Uh, so it is rough in Rexdale. I tell you that. Mm. So folks who don't know, this is part of Toronto. Yes. I've seen things that my eyes were not supposed to see growing up. Right. Learning these things and these ideologies 
you start to embody them because you do not have a proper mentor. So ain't no guidance going on. Thus, long story short, mm -hmm. April 30th, 2018, um, I, was, I was shot. My kids were in the car. Uh, my partner at the time was in the car and, uh, at that particular moment, um, I not being able to, as a father, mm -hmm. as their, as my children's creator, mm -hmm. I could not defend them mm -hmm. as a king in my mind, I was not able to defend my queen and I was not able to defend my offsprings. So that created a level of high anxiety, trauma mm -hmm. and despondency. What I did is, hey, what I'm used to, because I'm a prior gunshot victim from before. I've been shot a total of eight times. All right. Wow. So what I did was I said, hey, listen, I failed as a father. I failed as a dad. You know how that feels to really have that feeling of failure? It ain't good. Mm -hmm. So what I did is I went and I got a gun. 48 hours later, you want to know what happened? I was arrested with that gun. Mm -hmm. So not only did I get shot. 48 hours later, I was in a jail cell away from my family, away from my kids. So at the end of the day, it's like I have literally every reason to do the wrong thing. Mm -hmm. I got every single reason to say F-U-C-K-A. Mm -hmm. <laughs> <laughs> wait, wait, oh, wait. You, could, you could swear if you want to. You <laughs> can gonna, swear if you want we'll to. We're going to try to keep it clean. For Yes. Yes. <laughs> so, Karim, going back to that, uh, when you were uh, you were arrested with a gun, that was, I'm assuming that it was illegal weapon you had. I'm assuming is my assumption. Of course, it's illegal. Like I got criminal records, so if, if there's no gun, that's ever legal for me. <laughs> <laughs> okay. okay. You know what I mean? Fair, fair, I don't I don't fair. I don't I don't sugarcoat nothing. W what I was trying to understand was that there was okay, you had a illegal weapon, but you did not hurt anybody. That's all I wanted to clarify. No, yes. So, I had an illegal weapon, but I did not hurt anybody. I this this well, I'm going to clarify this. My kids were 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 like I seen a bullet whiz past one kid's face mm -hmm. and the next kid's face. Son daughter okay right my son witnessed me get shot in my shoulder all right like i reached over to my partner at that time and you know grabbed her to save her from gunshots i mean mm -hmm. who wouldn't want to grab a firearm after that mm -hmm. yeah i'm not even a parent or someone with a partner but that sounds really really scary it's it's scary it, 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 it impacts me in this very moment it impacts me throughout my life it mm -hmm. um i was in jail I was incarcerated and I had to start my healing process for both events while I was in jail. Right. I was having nightmares. Mm -hmm. Like I I would I was getting up out of my bed punching my uh, mattress. Like I was I was literally I was having dreams of getting shot again. Like I kept having these dreams and I I I could never forget it. I got up out of my mattress and I'll scream and I was literally punching that mattress. Right. And Kadeem, this was your first uh, experience with jail? Nah, dude. <laughs> but it's my <laughs> but it, it but it it, it 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 was my last experience. I tell you that. Right. It was my last experience. Mm -hmm. And after that, I said, nah, dude, we ain't we ain't we ain't we ain't, we ain't doing this no more. I know this. I I, I know it too much now. Mm -hmm. 
this episode, we're talking about the question, why did you do it? And I'm guessing when people ask you this question, they don't know what you just told us of your whole story and your upbringing and stuff like that. Right. Uh, can you recall a time someone asked this and, and how did that feel? So first of all, people will look at me and be like, hey, listen, you you did it. <laughs> oh, my gosh. Huh. Hey, we know. We know you did it. Okay, cool. I did do it. But do you know why I did it? Mm. Have you ever took the time out of your own thoughts? Mm-hmm. And your selfish thoughts to ask yourself why I did it. Because I did do it. I'm not going to sit here and lie. I did do it. But why did I do it? Mm -hmm. That's the problem that everybody seems to not go to for even the system. The system, they know there's a problem, in my opinion. They know there's a problem, okay? But they are not spending and allocating the right amount of funding. They're not allocating the right amount of resources. They're not Mm -hmm. allocating the right amount of programming inside these facilities, inside these institutions. They're not allocating the right things to then cause a curve. We are looking to curve behavior. We're not looking to uprise the wrong behavior. Mm-hmm. And that's why I'm so passionate. That's why I'm so motivated. That's why it's like I'm so animated. Because I've been hurt too much. Mm. I've been hurt way too much. I and I I I didn't even have anybody talk to like that about it. Mm. So imagine you keep getting hurt. Like we're not talking about like you've been shot before. Any anybody on this call been shot before? No, definitely not. All right. So definitely not. So have you been shot like eight times before? <laughs> definitely not. No, you are. <laughs> All right. So like it, it, the, the trauma is so real. Like, like I got scars everywhere. You see that? Mm-hmm. All right. That's from getting stabbed. Mm-hmm. All right. That's literally oh, wow. from getting stabbed. And that's not counting the. No, that's not counting the bullets, dude. Okay. That's not counting the bullets. All right. Whew, we're getting hot now. All right. That's not, that's not, that's not counting that. <laughs> All right. Okay. So, Kareem, um, you mentioned that you are product of uh, your environment. So, mm-hmm. this happened way before you were, you went to the cruiser the first time. Yes, like I've been going through the cruisers. Like I I went through that whole phase. Right. Right. So, so the first question would be that where things could have changed so that you never entered the cruiser the first time. School, school system, all right? They needed to grab the attention of my mind in school. I was just somebody that was just different. Like I'm even now, I'm just different. Like I'm just absolutely different. I just got a lot of energy. I just got a lot of whatever. And Mm -hmm. at the time, I didn't know. I didn't know that I had a lot of energy and Mm -hmm. uh, the traumas I was facing in my neighborhood and and, and things like that. And they came out in the nature of school. Mm -hmm. And I got suspended. I got expelled. I found myself so angry. I would punch brick walls. I would do all these things. But I never had somebody. I didn't even know what was going on in my own brain. Now that I, I have the, the wisdom and the knowledge to go back and assess myself. 17 years ago, hmm. when I had this knowledge now and I look back and I'm just like, whoa, this is why I was angry? For real, though. I wish I had somebody of importance like a mentor structure when I was a kid to really say, Hey, listen, Mm -hmm. you don't need to go down that road. Mm -hmm. So in that nature, yes, I could really say, Hey, listen, you know, the system did fail me on an education basis level. Mm -hmm. 
And I'm very smart. I'm very intellectual, but I only got seven school credits. <laughs> Sorry, what does that mean? Seven school credits? Seven school credits, which means I didn't even finish grade nine. <laughs> okay. okay. I I didn't go to school here. You have a kid in high school. Like, come on. <laughs> You're just letting her do her thing. Just like, oh, whatever. She just tells care. me that she just passed. So that's good enough for me. <laughs> love love that approach to oh, be honest know, i like that i like that yeah right it's, it's a good parenting approach uh, so kareem you mentioned earlier that you're trying to heal from your past trauma while uh, you were in jail can you talk about that a little bit more please so the healing process starting it as much as in my mind i thought i was healing i wasn't healing mm -hmm. I am now just understanding what healing is. Mm. I am now just coming to that state of mind of freedom. Mm -hmm. Finding this inspiration to be motivated, that's tough. Mm -hmm. Because the clause that incarceration has on the psychological mindset, it's like detriment. Like it's detrimental. It's mm -hmm. like, it's like... Pfft, so when you go to jail, you're segregated mm -hmm. straight up. You're, you're even if you're on a rage, GP, PC, whatever it is. Once you in jail, once you go behind a cruiser, once you go in a holding cell, you're segregated. Simple. Now, imagine if you there's something happens and you got to face any disciplinary acts. You go to further segregation. You are further isolated. Mm -hmm. So imagine the impacts that could have on an individual. Yes, individuals are there for doing crime. But still, <laughs> it's hard when you have to live in these conditions. It's hard when you have to, you know, that there's not really nothing to look forward to. <laughs> you don't have a routine. You don't have anything. Your legacy is of jail. <laughs> so how, if your legacy in your mind, you're getting up every day and you're living a, 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 a mind that is your legacy, I'm doing jail time and your mindset is broken. If you break somebody's mindset, you could literally put a whole new mind in them. <laughs> Just before we wrap up, I wanted to circle back to the question of asking people, uh, why did you do it? Would you say that this is an inappropriate question? And what would you say to someone who wants to ask this question? Um, I would say it's a very inappropriate question, <laughs> but people don't understand some people, some people understand the inappropriateness to the question, but some mm. people really don't. Some people, they get so in tuned with you that they're like, oh, so what made you do it? Mm. Mm -hmm. And they know that there's like a profound story behind it. Right. So to me, it depends on where your heart is asking that question. Mm. I would say, like, if you're just come up to an individual and be like, hey, listen, like, yeah, I know you're in jail and blah, blah, blah. And what, why'd you do it? Come on, dude. <laughs> <laughs> that's like that's like that's almost like a whole punch in the face like that's like oh right. why did i do it excuse I, i'm gonna tell you right now mm -hmm. right mm. do you sometimes just do that to people like give them your full story when they ask this question i give them the full 411 and there's a reason because i want to make everybody see that hey mm -hmm. listen i was already changing my life so this is not like something like I was already a changed man. So this is not like I went and I I went back into a lifestyle. And no, 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 no. I was already a changed man. Mm. So now that this happened 
and my family was involved that I created and illustrated, mm -hmm. what was I supposed to do? My name is James Rustin. I'm a prisoner of Corrections Canada since my arrest in 1989 uh, at 17 years old. And I've been on parole for the last almost two years in Toronto. Everybody seems fascinated with specifically why people uh, do these uh, illegal things. I think it's a better use of questioning to approach that, asking people maybe what happened in their lives that led them to uh, the decisions that they made. In my mind, I wasn't seeing it as me going into a criminal act. For me, it was more of a moving away from emotions that I had not been able to process. Uh, I watched my uh, six-year-old brother drown when I was four years old. And that was a trauma that impacted me, my family. For me, it caused a real separation from uh, most of my other social contacts because people couldn't understand the experience that I had been through. And I had difficulty understanding how other people were living their life without this sense of impending uh, loss, uh, this unresolved, uh, sadness and anger and so when people say you know why did you do it or when my family gets frustrated you know if I am out on parole and I end up uh, slipping into substance use to kind of quell the anxieties that I'm kind of stuck with for life they know I'm at risk of going back to prison I know I'm at risk of going back to prison but still I've made that choice to to, to take that risk the moment of relief that I'm provided uh, through substances takes precedence um, over any long-term consideration for consequences that might come up. Why did you do it? A, a better question is, how do we uh, get out of this? How do we break this cycle of harm? That really empowers us, again, to look at our criminal justice system and how we treat prisoners. Because if we can create really you know, positive, healthy circumstances for people, then we're going to get, you know, positive, healthy behavior out of them. In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well... It was meant to. We were on this mission together, and we were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. To hear a bit about the broader context behind this question, we're speaking to Sarah Tessier. Sarah has been an advocate and peer support worker with many organizations helping institutionalized people in Canada. Sarah, can you tell us about your story with incarceration and what led you to where you are now? 
Absolutely. Now, to speak on being incarcerated, I'd have to go back to, you know, what led me there in the first place. Yeah, for sure. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, it all stems. And I believe that people that are incarcerated are victims themselves. You know, that underlying trauma that's unresolved is what leads to an offense path in the first place. Right. And with my childhood, it was no different. So I was um, sexually abused by, by, by my father. But not only that, I was sold into the sex trade at the age of three by my father. Mm. Uh, when I was eight and I tried to tell somebody he shot himself, but he didn't die. My mother gave me away that day. I grew up in foster care after that until the courts gave me back to my father two years later. And it continued. Oh, gosh. And at that time, I tried to tell several people and they ended up, um, nothing was done until I told my vice principal when I was 15. And then I was back in foster care again. Mm -hmm. So all that uh, led to abandonment issues and, you know, a lot of other issues always needed to be accepted. I learned at a very young age, bouncing around from foster homes and going to new schools that if I acted like the class clown and got laughs, that meant people must like me. Hmm. So that led me to acting out in ways and, and those maladaptive behaviors that led me hmm. to my offenses in the first place. I ended up dating somebody who I should know. She was much younger and, you know, there was drugs involved and lots of drinking and partying. And I was putting on this facade of having this lifestyle that was lavish and just hmm. to impress her. Mm -hmm. And one night I was sitting around with her and her friends and they were talking about an armed robbery they did and got away with it. So me wanting to impress them and be cool. I said, mm -hmm. I can plan one in 10 minutes and, and pull it off and get away with it. And they're like, yeah, right. So I did. So we committed three armed robberies within the six day period. Mm -hmm. And, mm -hmm. you know, I was still going to work every day. I was still doing what I needed to do. Had my mm -hmm. son at home, my three-year-old son at home. but when I got tired of doing things like that and I told her it was time for her to be on her way, she went to the police and told them everything. Hmm. So I was arrested and I immediately admitted to what I did, but there was uh, several other charges that she would, she was trying to put on me that, you know, just to try and make it worse. Um, I was denied bail. I ended up going to court and got handed down a, a well it was a joint submission for eight years my lawyer said they were looking at 23 with all the charges mm -hmm. wow. and if i pled guilty to the ones that i did that they would do a joint submission for eight years so that's what i did hmm. so from there how did you get to where you are now so from there um, I took a really good hard look at myself and said, okay, what needs to change? What do I need to do? I need to figure this out. I was in full survivor mode. And a lot of that came with those behaviors of, I was always getting hurt. So I better hurt people first. So that, so that way, you know, whoever hurts first is the one on top. Right. And I carried that through my life as well. So I worked really hard at trying to figure out what I can do and what I needed to change. And I can tell you that Correctional Services Canada was no help in that hmm. because I had asked for mental health services to, so I could address the unresolved trauma, which they denied me saying I was low needs and I didn't need mental health services. Oh my gosh. Uh, it's, it was very difficult. They like to stick to their blanket program, one size fits all. Mm -hmm. And, you know, that's supposed to, be the way they reform people. Mm -hmm. 
mm-hmm. but everybody knows that correction services Canada is nothing more than punitive. It's not rehabilitative. So that doesn't work. So I just fought hard and I started building a network. Every time volunteers came into the institution, I met with them. I was consistent with it. I'd go to the resource fairs. Mm-hmm. I did every program I could sign up for. Mm-hmm. Uh, healthy relationships, uh, conflict resolution, grief and loss. And that's where I found my passion to help others. Hmm. Boy, boy, there is so much to unpack. Yeah. So it sounds like when people ask this question, when people ask, why did you do it? It's actually pretty complicated to answer. Like the answer in your story goes back quite a ways. Well, initially, when I was asked the question, I was looking at the immediate time of the crimes. Mm -hmm. So it's like, well, why'd you do it? Well, because, you know, I just did. Somebody made a comment about doing it and I wanted to one up them. Mm -hmm. But the truth is it goes way back further than that. It all comes back to that unresolved trauma. Mm -hmm. If I didn't have the abandonment issues I had, if I didn't have that need to be accepted, that need to be wanted, that need for people to like me because I didn't get any of that nurturing as a child, right? then it wouldn't have led to that in the first place. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Absolutely. And in your work with, because you, you're as a peer support worker, do you find that that's, you know, a similar story for a lot of the people you work with that there's, that they can like, they see that connection between their earlier lives and the places they went? Absolutely. And that I'll, I'll tell you something, when you talk about CIA, Correctional Service Canada, mm-hmm. you know, and their blanket program, it's all about, oh, well, people use drugs, so they go to jail. They commit crimes because they use drugs. No, they use drugs to numb out the trauma, and they commit crimes to support that habit to keep the trauma at bay. Mm-hmm. So again, it all leads back to that, right? Right. You know, it's it's a vicious cycle and it happens. You see it every with every client. They've all come from a traumatic background or some form of trauma in their lives. Right. Out of all the women incarcerated or who have been incarcerated in Canada, Mm -hmm. uh, I think the statistics are 83 percent have suffered from some form of sexual trauma in their lives. And that's just self-reported. So the numbers are probably much higher. Higher. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Wow. I want to go back to something you said earlier, that our prison system is purely punitive. To me, people incarcerated uh, are one of the most vulnerable people. And if we treat them justly, if we treat them right, that is the society I would want to live in. But what I'm hearing from you is uh, that may not be the case. Maybe you want to elaborate a little bit, because you did mention a little bit uh, on uh, the correctional facilities. Absolutely. So prisons, you know, that's such a misconception because they're purely punitive. And Mm. not to mention, you're taking the most marginalized, victimized, institutionalized, and criminalized people in society. And the first thing that happens to them is they get re-traumatized and re-victimized when they walk through the door and they have to be strip searched. Mm -hmm. That's the most traumatic thing for people, especially considering the high numbers of people that have been sexually assaulted or traumatized in their lives. Mm. So you're already taking people who have been victimized and traumatized. You're doing it all over again. You're putting them into a place where they go in there. They don't have the health services Mm -hmm. that you would have out in the community. Mm. Not that those are much better. They don't have the mental health services. And, you know, there's so many things I can go on forever 
about how horrible it is to be placed in a prison when what they could be doing is addressing all the needs out in the community Mm -hmm. with the supports and they wouldn't need the prison in the first place. Mm -hmm. People can be rehabilitated in the community surrounded by great supports, great services, but instead nobody funds those areas. Mm -hmm. And that's where the government needs to step up. So for me, we have to understand a few things. Uh, And again, uh, Sarah, you are the expert, so please jump in. (laughs) (laughs) Why do we incarcerate people? Is uh, Is it for the purpose of justice? You did harm to somebody, so now harm must come to you. Or is it to ensure that you don't do the harm again? Or... Is it, uh, and, and, and that's the moral imperative uh, of some sort. People feel safe when they think bad people, and I'm using quotations, yeah. are locked away and kept away from them. Mm-hmm. That's, how, that's how it makes society feel. They feel it's the white collar, it's the white privilege. Hmm. You know, I'll, fe- I'll feel safer when all the poor, the discriminated against, the marginalized, mm-hmm. the victimized, are put away and out of my sight. That makes me feel safe. Hmm. And that's why we have prisons. You know, the police are out there and they're targeting the minorities. We know this, but society promotes it. Mm -hmm. Society pushes for it. And it all stems from ignorance. It's that lack of knowledge, that stigma that criminalized individuals carry, that society places on them. But yet, if you have a well-off family in a white-collar neighborhood who commits a crime, right. what are they going to get? If they, could, if they drink and drive and kill a child, they'll get a slap on the wrist. Mm-hmm. But if you get a poor black man from an, a neighborhood that isn't you know, up to society standards, they're going to spend their life in jail. How fair is that? And that's what society puts on. That, that's what society creates. Hmm. I, I also want to look at from the other point of view. So there will be criminals who are not, uh, they are likely to re- re-offend. It could be their mental health issue, whatever the case may be, which will be, they, they will be danger to the society. I want you to comment on that aspect of it as well. Okay, and that's very common. When I talk about being a prison abolitionist, why not address the needs of people before they offend in the first place? Hmm. You know, if there's mental health issues, address those mental health issues in the community before people go down that path and, and, and offend. There's warning signs, there's red flags, there's everything before somebody offends. Mm -hmm. People just don't pay attention because there's nowhere to send them to get the help they need. But but having said that, Sarah, I still think there will be some people. The number may be very small, but there will be some people. And, and uh, Yeah, absolutely. There will be. Absolutely. Hmm. What would you say to someone who asks you, why did you do it? And is that an inappropriate question? Ah, yes. We always like to ask. <laughs> well, in all honesty, for me, myself, I don't mind because I'm so open about everything, Mm -hmm. you know, and it gives me that opportunity to educate people. Right. And that's what's important. Is it an inappropriate question? I think for most people um, that have to 
answer that or are expected to answer that, it's probably more inappropriate in that you're asking somebody that they may not have the capability or the skills to understand. I think that's the inappropriate part of it Hmm. is that you're asking something of somebody that they don't comprehend themselves. Right. Like you said, you know, earlier on getting this question, you would have just referred to what happened in the moment and directly leading up to it. But now when Mm -hmm. you think back on it, it's more about, you know, your whole life and the things that led you to that moment. Absolutely. Mm -hmm. Is there something you wish uh, people would ask instead? One thing you could be asking is, what do you still need to move forward? Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. What will help you get to where you want to be? And what can I do to help? And, you know, here's something I learned while inside. I was a very judgmental person too. Mm. But being inside Mm -hmm. and doing the work I did and also the work on myself, I realized who am I to judge somebody else when I don't know where they were at the time they did the things they did. And it's not my place to know. Hmm. And that made all the difference in the world for me. Mm-hmm. because it allowed me to focus on me as, as opposed to everybody else. When you walk up to somebody who's been formerly incarcerated or who is currently facing uh, the impact of the criminal justice system, mm-hmm. rather than looking down on them, look at them as a victim, because that's what they are. They're a victim of something themselves. Mm-hmm. Find out what you can do to help them heal, mm. because that's what's going to bring society out of this. Alena, this has been another amazing episode, but this was one, again, which was a little bit outside our comfort zone. I feel you. And I go with that adage that every complex problem has a simple solution, which is wrong. (laughs) So we have to look at this into a very, very broader picture. People who commit crime, it's not just Perhaps one day they just wake up and they commit crime. For sure. It's a multifaceted problem. Yeah. And as a society, if we look at that problem in a little bit more depth, then uh, we will never be able to eliminate the crime, but we reduce the crime. Yeah. Like you said, out of our comfort zone, it's a difficult topic. Our guests have been through a lot. And we're so fascinated by this question, but it's more complicated than I think a lot of people think going into it when they ask this question. Absolutely. And this by no means is condoning the crime. Yeah. We are just trying to understand... Where it comes from. And again, scratching the serpent. Yeah. Where crime is coming from. Yeah. There's a lot of different perspectives on crime. We haven't heard from like people who have been affected by crime as a victim or in a different way. There's a lot more to get into with this topic, but I think definitely we learned a lot about where these things come from and people's misconceptions. I can tell you with this episode, I am a little stressed. Me too. <laughs> Me too. I am sure our listeners can hear it. So see the self-care tips from the, the couple episodes ago. <laughs> yes, I think that would suit me. I'm Harvinder Vadva. And I'm Elena Hudgens-Lyle. Thanks for getting inappropriate with us. Huge thanks to our guests, Kadeem Reed and Sarah Tessier. 
You also heard a voice note from James Rustin. If you're interested in listening to more stories about the prison system, check out Life Jolt, a CBC podcast about women navigating Canada's correctional system. To find a full transcript of this episode, make sure to visit cbc.ca forward slash IQ podcast. The very tired troupe behind this podcast are Sabrina Birch, Cindy Long, and myself. The show is mixed by Andrew Norton. Our chase producer is Sarah Melton, and our digital producer is S.K. Robert. Our senior producer is Jeff Turner, and our executive producer is Arif Nurani. An inappropriate question is, well... The true crime podcasts are more popular than our podcast. And we're not bitter at all, we promise. No, nope, nope, <laughs> we're not bitter at all. <laughs> For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.